to have this opportunity to continue a series on the book of Philippians regarding the subject of joy. We've arrived at the final chapter, chapter 4, and in this fourth installment, we want to talk about finding joy instead of anxiety, and we have to be very diligent about that because worry is a disease that never quits. You've probably seen the tombstone that reads, I told you I was sick. It's one of the most highly communicable diseases. There's a man about to jump off a bridge. Another man came along to try to talk him down. And after talking about the past year, they both jumped. And so it's been a plague upon society. And you don't believe me, go look at the statistics. Go look at the healthcare cost associated with anxiety and how it's affected uh, and stunted growth in people's lives, how it's led to premature death, how many conditions are caused or worsened by anxiety, things like cancers and heart disease and stroke and obviously suicide. And so anxiety is very dangerous and deadly, but so also is the tendency to swing to the other extreme of being careless instead of carefree. Uh, There's a story of a woman who was riding along in a car and the driver was driving out of control. He was speeding and she said, please slow down so you don't kill us. And his response was, if it's God's will, we'll live or we'll die. And her response was, if we die in a car crash, it's not God's will, it's human stupidity. And so we need to ask ourselves sometimes, is this God's will or is it human stupidity? Should we care at all? Should we have any concern at all? I think it's interesting that the same word we see in chapter 4 is found in chapter 2 in a positive light. You remember chapter 2, we talked about finding joy in humble service, and he says, esteem others better than yourself. Count others more significant than yourself. Look not, on your own, not only on your own interest, but also on the interest of others. This is a good thing, having a certain level of concern for self and for others. And he gives the example of Christ, and then he goes on to talk about those who had the mind of Christ and followed the example of Christ, including Timothy, who he says in verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned, same word, genuinely concerned for your welfare. So don't be concerned or be concerned. Don't have fear or have fear. We find commands not to have fear and commands to have fear. How do we harmonize that? Well, the explanation is those words are used in different senses. There's a level of concern in fear that's productive, that's helpful, that's necessary. And I would argue sometimes we don't have enough of this concern in our life. It's what keeps children from playing in the street. It's why we lock our doors and wear our seatbelts and take shelter, unless you're from Oklahoma, during a tornado. So don't fail to see and appreciate the nuance and the distinction in senses. Because when I have failed to do that, there have been times in my life where I thought I was being brave and tough, and in fact, I was being something else. The command is not to be careless, reckless, and foolish. And so maybe we can think of worry as being preoccupied with the problem, being paralyzed by a problem, being consumed by a problem, whereas concern is being aware of a problem and asking, is there anything I can do about it? When you look at the Greek word from Philippians chapter 4, it's in the present active tense. So it's something that's an ongoing state to have the thoughts occupied with, being consumed by something. And so essence, the sentiment is don't get caught up in a perpetual state of anxiety that undermines your faith and peace and trust 
in God. Consider what Jesus said on the subject, and perhaps the most famous teaching on anxiety in Matthew chapter 6. His main point is don't be anxious. He says that repeatedly. He's warned about double vision, double service, and now he's warning against double-mindedness, which is what anxiety is. Philippians chapter 4 is going to teach us how we deal with anxiety. Paul's going to give us a seven-step process for overcoming anxiety, but we want to start with why. Jesus gives us the reasons why we shouldn't be anxious. And the first argument, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't be devoted to both. Therefore, don't be overly concerned and consumed by money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Your life is greater than, your life is more than food and clothing. Therefore, be concerned with the more. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Birds' daily needs are met in spite of the fact that they have no storage capacity. Now, there's nothing wrong with planting. There's nothing wrong with barns. In fact, the Bible tells us it's wise to do that. Don't be presumptuous in your planting. And don't be consumed and overly concerned about barns and accounts. Your value is not defined by your valuables. Your self-worth and your net worth aren't the same thing. And perhaps the most obvious and simple argument he makes is verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Worry is useless. And what you're doing is you're taking this creative energy and you're channeling it to create something you don't want or might not even happen. You'd be better off using that energy today to secure tomorrow. Reminded of the story of a man on his deathbed who said, I've had many troubles in life. Most of them never happened. And we know that by experience. Most of the things we worry about either never happen, have already happened, or if they happen, turn out to be somewhat trivial. Don't believe me, I challenge you, the things you're worrying about today, make a list and review them in a few days, a few weeks, a few months. How bad did it turn out? Or if you want to really challenge your memory, try to remember what you were worrying about a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And have faith and confidence whenever you are attacked by anxiety. He goes on to say that, God clothes the flowers and takes care. He takes care of birds and flowers and grass. Beauty and clothing comes from somewhere outside of yourself. There is providence for all of God's creation, including the bird, including the flower, including even the grass. How much more so is providence available for those made in His image after His likeness? You are the crown jewel of God's creation. Look at what God has done and continues to do. He has created and is sustaining right now the entire universe. Is He not big enough to handle you? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. His argument essentially is you are a child of God. You are a believer. Act like it. Quit acting like people who don't know, who don't trust, who don't believe in God. Something's wrong when unbelievers have more tranquility and peace than believers do. And we like to tell ourselves that anxiety, that worry is a small sin. It's one of the small sins. 
But by nature, in essence, anxiety is telling the world that my God can't be trusted. And that disrespect and dishonor of God is never a small sin. He said, God knows what you need. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's all-loving. He cares. He's all-powerful, omnipotent. He can handle it. God knows you and your problems more than you know yourself. Therefore, don't worry. Don't bet against yourself if you're a child of God and you're following Jesus. Most importantly, don't bet against your God. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We've talked about the correlation between obedience and righteousness and joy, that those things are related. A lot of times we're unhappy and we're anxious because we're not obedient. Our priorities, seek ye first the kingdom of God, it reminds me of Mary and Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious, same word. You are anxious about many things, but Mary has chosen the good thing, the one thing. A lot of times we have a lot of anxiety in our life because there's too much noise, there's too much activity, there's too much turbulence. Stand still and see the salvation of your God. Simplify and focus your life on the needful things and what really matters on the one thing, and your life will have a greater punch. It'll have a greater impact. Quit worrying and your life will be a lot less complicated. And how many of our anxieties are the result of perverted priorities and perspectives and a lack of righteousness? Think about what they say the number one cause of divorce is. Anxiety, tension, conflict concerning money. How often is that conflict and tension and anxiety the result of unrighteous decisions concerning stewardship and concerning our finances? Don't make waves by thinking, saying, doing, listening to the wrong things. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There is trouble and grace for every day. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And it's so cliche, but it's so true, you've got to take it one day at a time. Don't climb mountains until you get to them. Worrying about what if, that's what anxiety is, what if syndrome, worrying about tomorrow and what might happen tomorrow will keep you from enjoying what's happening in the present today. It robs the good and only leaves bad. Worry won't prevent your problems from happening tomorrow, but it will prevent joy, peace, hope, strength today. And so notice Jesus assumes that facts Truths, these arguments affect our feelings, affect and influence our emotions. Our thoughts precede our emotions and our feelings, and yet we doubt and we're skeptical, and we think, you know, that, that just won't work for me. And Jesus says, ye have little faith. If these arguments aren't having an effect on you, it's because you have little faith in what Jesus says. Anxiety and faith are diametrically opposed. They can't coexist. What's going to happen is eventually one will kill the other and eat the carcass. And so the question of why we worry is probably more important than what we're actually worrying about. And so these are the reasons, Jesus says, this is why you shouldn't worry. And Paul's going to give us the how we deal with anxiety. How do we overcome anxiety? Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Perhaps the title verse of our entire series. It's a commandment, not optional. It's a commandment. It means it's possible. Twice within one verse, same commandment because it's that important. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if anyone had a reason to have anxiety, it was Paul. 
Go read places like 2 Corinthians 11, all the things that he had experienced and was currently experiencing, including the care and concern of the entire church. And yet, reading Philippians, you would think Paul was writing from Hawaii instead of a prison. (laughs) And that's because being in a prison doesn't have to become a prison of anxiety. The first remedy to anxiety is joy. That's That's why this is so important. Rejoice in the Lord. And the emphasis is on in the Lord. We talked about last time. Focus on Jesus. And it reminds me of when Peter asked Jesus to let him walk with him on the water in this storm. And he said, come on. And he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. As long as he recognized the sovereign presence of his Lord, as long as his eyes were focused on Jesus, he was able to handle and do the seemingly impossible. But as soon as his focus shifted, as soon as he gave in to distractions and anxieties, he began to sink. And so when you feel like you're sinking, when you feel like you're drowning, look to Jesus. Because the longer you look at your waves, the larger they're going to appear. Rejoice in the Lord who walks on water and who calms the storm, and you will have peace. He continues, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Greek word there means reasonableness, not insisting on every right, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, considerate, mature, reasonable, rational, respectful. (laughs) The endangered species list. James uses the same word in James 3, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason. And he says it should be evident to all men. It reminds us of what Paul said in chapter 2, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What are we making evident to the world right now? That we're reasonable, rational, yielding, willing to listen, maybe willing to learn, maybe even willing to reconsider as we're confronted with facts. Humility that says, you know, I'm not an expert on every subject just because I have fast internet speeds. Have we made that evident? That we're reasonable people, Christians are reasonable people, we're rational people, or have we made something else evident to our children, to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our, our enemies, unbelievers? You know, what I've discovered is usually I act unreasonably when I feel like what I want to do, my rights, my freedoms, my customs are under attack. (laughs) And that if I'm humble and respectful and gentle and reasonable and selfless and submissive, that I'm going to get walked all over and taken advantage of. And if that's how I'm thinking, I need to back up to chapter 2 because it's possible I've come this whole way and still don't know the mind of Christ. I've come this far and still don't know what it means to be a Christian. When my joy is in my Lord instead of my rights, when I make my request known to God, I am free not to be an angry, complaining, disputing, unreasonable person, but rather... I can be humble and gentle and reasonable and considerate and selfless in a degree and a manner that's evident to all men. Show God your concerns and show the world your reasonableness. The Lord is at hand. Remember, God is near. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We want to emphasize the word my. Not everyone else's, not just out there. He is my shepherd. A 
personal relationship with the shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. He leads and he feeds me to, to makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Sheep lie down when conditions are just right, whenever they are full and unafraid. My spirit will be restless until I find rest in him. He leads me to green pastures and beside the still waters of calm, peaceful refreshment. He restores my weary soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I can walk, not run, not backtrack, not freeze. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. And as we mentioned earlier, so many of our problems and anxieties are shadows. And as the saying goes, don't give small things large shadows. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. God is a gracious host in my life, and no enemy, no opposition can stop him from filling my cup to overflowing abundance. And the result of this confidence in providence, verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. You won't find a comparable piece of literature in the entire world. It is unrivaled in beauty and comfort. But if you want the beauty and comfort and peace that's described in this psalm, you have to know the shepherd, not just the psalm. The Lord is nearer than tomorrow. He's nearer than your next breath. If you're a child of God, He's within us. And the certainty and nearness of the Lord takes away our anxiety and our need for vengeance. Romans 12, I'm coming back. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You overcome evil with good. You live peaceably with all men. Peace is possible not because of the absence of storms and waves, but because of the presence of a sovereign and loving Father in our life. Think about when Jesus walked on water. What happened right before that? That's when he fed the thousands. And we see when he fed the thousands and when he walked on water, the disciples were acting like Jesus wasn't present and was powerless to help. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough strength. Jesus says, you don't have enough faith because Jesus offers and provides more than enough with leftovers. And so the next time you think, I don't have enough strength, I don't have enough patience, I don't have enough mercy, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough faith, hope, love, start with what Jesus has, not what you have or what you don't have. Because in His presence, you can be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do our anxieties cause prayer or despair? Peter says, cast your burdens upon the Lord. Cast is an intentional act to relocate an object. Give your anxieties to God. And Jesus says, be persistent in that. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Be tenacious. Jacob would not let go of the Lord until he received a blessing. I'm not going to give in to anger and anxiety and bitterness and vengeance. Not today. Because I've given it to God. Anxiety is prayer to the wrong God. And so we're told, make your request known to God. And the word for request means a specific itemized list. Be specific in your prayers. Let God hear your specific burdens and show the world your peace. With supplication and thanksgiving, there's a way in which we make our request known to God, a way of humility. God is good. I'm not. I don't deserve. Therefore, I'm humbled and grateful, not demanding and entitled. Peter's prayer was humble 
sincere and clear. Help me. Save me. And it's that attitude, that way of thinking, that prayer that'll bring you back to the surface. With thanksgiving, we want to emphasize the strong correlation between gratitude and joy and peace. We've talked about that. Peter brings prayer and gratitude together, not only here, but also in other places like 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You ever wonder why we are to make our requests known with thanksgiving before the requests are met? Why are we thankful before the requests are met? Because we have trust and confidence in God's providence that God hears and answers and responds to the prayer of His children, and we are thankful whatever He decides. If the answer is yes, if the answer is no, which is just as much an answer as yes, Gratitude is a miracle cure. If we could bottle it up and give it out in medication, we would wipe out so many problems, so many diseases. Studies show it improves your sleep, your longevity. Grateful people tend to be more compassionate, merciful. As a result, not surprisingly, they're happier. People who keep a gratitude journal are less likely to be envious, materialistic, compare, which causes dissatisfaction. They're more positive. Paul was overjoyed because he was grateful. We see that throughout the book of Philippians. First chapter, last chapter, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Gratitude is a key to overcoming bitterness and to guard against the threats and enemies of our joy. Anxiety says, if I only had or I didn't have, my life would be. What gratitude does, it says, look what I already have. Look what God has already given me. Count your blessings. We sing that song, 591, in our books, and every verse is exactly what we're talking about this morning. Just so rich theologically in the subject of anxiety. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Be specific, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Are you ever burdened with the load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly. Anxiety will flee, and you will be singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy, your reward in heaven nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend, help and comfort give you to your journey's end. The next time you're struggling with anxiety or complaining, or someone else you know is struggling of anxiety and complaining, challenge yourself, challenge them to count 10 specific things in your life that are good. If God gave me nothing else for the rest of my life, he would deserve my praise every day for the rest of my life because he gave me his son and I have hope of heaven. Beyond that, God has blessed me with a wife and children far beyond what I deserve that give me joy and peace every day, indescribably. My home is a refuge. I love to come home. I love to be home. He's given me an extended family. I've had exposure to New Testament Christianity my entire life. He's given me a spiritual family, the best people on the face of the earth. He's given me a job that pays the bills and with leftovers. He's given me, more importantly, a work in his kingdom that gives me the joy of work that really matters, that really makes a difference. 
in spite of everything going on and all the complaining, ask yourself, what eras or countries would you rather have lived in or live in than this era in this country right now? We are a blessed people. Count your blessings and watch the countenance change because gratitude and anxiety, anger, bitterness, fear, hate can't coexist in the same mind and the same heart. It's hard to be hateful when you're grateful, to be anxious when you're gracious. It's one of the best things you can do to be happier and to make others happier. It's a win-win. Express gratitude. You're happier. They're happier. People love to help people who are grateful. Who do you, who do you not like to help? Jesus says, where are the nine? We love, we'll, we'll bend over backwards to help people who shower us with compliments and gratitude. Thank you, thank you. Do you need a reference letter? Do you need me to loan you something? We love to help people that are grateful. So write, say, show, thank you. Because we're either whining or we're worshiping. You know why we're unhappy usually? You know why we're unhappy and anxious? Because we're ungrateful. So thank God and think properly. Anxiety is overcome with clear, rational thinking. You will never rise above your level of thinking. If you want to feel better, you got to think better. Anxious thoughts produce desperate actions. We lie, we steal, we kill, we cheat. Sometimes we commit suicide. And so if you want to change your response to anxiety, you've got to change your thinking and perspective about life and life's anxiety. It's often referred to as cognitive restructuring, which is just learning to argue with yourself. That's not crazy. We all do it. We all have internal dialogue. You've got to challenge perverted, distorted, negative, toxic thoughts in your life. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8, Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you at his time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour you with life's anxieties. And so if you feel devoured, if you feel like you're drowning, humble yourself under the mighty and sovereign hand of God and give him your burdens, give him your anxiety. Why? Because he cares for you. And we have to think at least one of these things about God before we worry. Either God doesn't know my problems, he's not omniscient, If he does know, he doesn't care, he's not all-loving. Or if he knows and cares, he can't do anything about it. He's not omnipotent. Worry is thinking God is heartless and bankrupt. Essentially, it's thinking God's not big enough for me and my problems. Jesus said in Luke 21, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. He goes on to say, stay awake at all times praying. Many turn to drugs and alcohol to handle their anxiety. And now we're not sober. We're not thinking clearly. We're not awake. He said in the parable of the sower, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke us and cause us to become unfruitful. Many turn to money, anxiety. And so you can turn to drugs and alcohol and money, or you can turn to God and be sober-minded, thinking clearly and in touch with reality. Think on these things, whatever things are true. Set free from irrational anxiety by embracing truth and reality. (laughs) Be the pillar and ground of truth, not lies and slander. It's not helping anybody's anxiety levels. Things that are honorable, not disrespectful. Don't find pleasure in shameful, base, low things. Whatever things are just. Have a mind that cares deeply about justice, 
about others, about righteousness, not just whatever's just, not just what's not hurting anybody, but is it pure in the eyes of God? Think of the word, not being contaminated. Think of the word for anxiety, a double mind, a divided mind, to be in pieces. This one thing, she has chosen this one thing. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are beautiful, don't fill your mind with ugly things. Don't let others fill your mind with ugly things. Don't invite them to dump garbage into your mind. Whatever things are commendable, don't fill your mind with the offensive. Begin and end every day by meditating on these things, on the Word of God. Every day. Because the noisier your thought life, the more volatile your feelings are going to be. We've got to start early and often because the noise starts early and often. And it's not escapism. It's not being out of touch with reality and avoiding the problem. It's preparation to handle the day with the right attitude that will produce the right actions. And that's the final step. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. The command is addressed to our actions, not our feelings. Robert Frost famously observed, the reason worry kills more people than work is because more people worry than work. You ever walked around with the pebble in your shoe? I mean, just, it's annoying, you know, it hurts, it's irritating me, you're anxious about it. Stop and take off your shoe. We waste miles of our life walking around with rocks in our shoes. You ever lie awake in bed, can't sleep because it's cold or hot? Kelsey and I have said one of the biggest mistakes we made in building our house was not putting a switch for the fan by our bed. First world problems. We put a light switch, but we forgot to put a fan switch. And I've lied in bed multiple nights thinking I'm going to be really tired in the morning. I'm going to be really tired because I was hot or cold and I could have got up and done something about it. Or I could get a smart thermostat and not even have to get up. There's a hound dog that was howling because he was sitting on a burr, and the man said, why doesn't he just get up? And the other man responded, because he'd rather holler than move. <laughs> and that describes us very often. You've got to follow up prayer with action. Give us this day our daily bread doesn't mean that a loaf of wonder bread is going to miraculously pop down the table. God expects us to go out and be the natural medium by which God is working in us and through us can answer these prayers. We pray for the sick. We pray for the lost. We pray for the church. We pray for our country, our community, the world, and then we do absolutely nothing about it. What does it profit? I was talking about that concept in Fort Smith one time, and a member there who has since passed away told me a story when he was younger, and he and his friends were walking home from school, and they got caught in a storm, and one of them said, let's stop and pray, and he said, pray and run faster. (laughs) That's the concept. And helping others is excellent therapy. We've talked about that. Jesus said you lose yourself, you, you find yourself by losing yourself in God and other people. The man who found that Alcoholics Anonymous discovered that truth by accident, he discovered one day that he could stay sober better by helping other people stay sober. And so if prayer combined with action doesn't remove your anxiety, sometimes the final step is acceptance. There are some things in life that can't be changed, and that's a cold, hard fact. The serenity prayer, which is a major part of the AA program. God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And so in conclusion, never worry about two things, things you can change 
things you can't change. And the result is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There are many remedies for anxieties, but there's no substitute for peace of mind that'll let you sleep at night. Many would give everything they owned for one day of this kind of peace, peace that exceeds what anxious thoughts can achieve in removing our anxiety. Guarding our heart and mind is a military term. Keeping watch, keeping things from being present, from getting in that shouldn't be there, feelings, attitudes, thoughts. If not, if we don't have the peace of God, our thoughts, our minds, our hearts will be left exposed to the elements and our circumstances. But if we'll do our part, God does His part and gives and guards our peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The kingdom of heaven is a pearl of great price, as we've talked about last time, an esteemed treasure, because within that kingdom we find true peace with God, with others, and with ourself. And it's a peace that can't be bought. It's a peace that you won't find in drugs and alcohol and money. It's the byproduct of a righteous relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you want it horizontally, you've got to have it vertically. And if you're seeking that peace this morning, it's found through Christ Jesus, in Christ alone. Believe, repent, be baptized into Christ. Have your sin washed away. Don't stay hanging and crucifying yourself between the two crosses of your past we talked about previously, in guilt and shame, running from your past, and the cross of anxiety regarding your future. Give it to Jesus. Cast your sin upon the Lord. Be washed in the blood of Jesus, and you can leave here with peace and salvation in your soul and joy in your heart. Maybe as a Christian, you need to make your request known to God. You need to humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. You need to have more faith and trust in the providence of God. If we can pray for you with supplication and thanksgiving, thankful whatever God decides, and help you in taking these steps to have joy and peace in your life, we're ready to do that. If you want this peace, Christ offers it to you. Ye that labor and are heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. And if you'll take action, if you'll respond to that invitation, you can leave here anxious for nothing with the peace of God that passes all understanding. The Lord invites you to come as we stand and sing together.